Hello and welcome back to the Off The Crossbar podcast with Regan Walsh and Brad Morris in which we discuss everything that's happening in and around the world of football. But before we get into our usual podcast, make sure you like and subscribe whether you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify or Acast. Now, as I said, I'm joined by Brad, but this is a little different sort of podcast than our usual. We're not having a look at our fixtures for the weekend or any of the talking points from this past week. But instead, we're delving into the history books and looking at something we're calling shocking World Cup moments. Yes, and this isn't usually the more serious kind of podcast, is it? We're used to being a lot more light-hearted with some of the stuff it's all about. We'll kind of be the same with this, don't fear, but we do want to look at this from a more serious point of view because... You look for the history of this tournament, the amount of just purely shocking moments there have been, both controversial oh, and ridiculous. just yeah, hilarious and yet controversial as well. It's mm, quite I mean, something. We were discussing just before we came on uh, the 2010 World Cup alone. Everything surrounding that whole tournament was just crazy. Um, so like you said, we are taking a more serious tone towards the podcast as we look at some of the craziest moments that have happened in World Cup history. And one place I want to start on is handballs at a World Cup. Now, I've got three situations here. Obviously, two people can probably uh, recount in their memories or know of them quite easily. But a third one I didn't realise happened also happened in the 2010 World Cup as well because I can't figure that one on the top of my head but we have the two obvious ones that are written down I feel like mm-hmm. they're the ones we should go through first I feel like there's no better place to start than the one of the most easily accountable moments in the history of the World Cup and that is the moment simply known as the hand of God yes the game between England and Argentina in Mexico, quarter-final stage, and the whole game is now just marred in history because of that moment, rather than Maradona's second moment of absolute brilliance in that game. Um, yeah, so, like we said, England versus Argentina, we're at the quarter-final stages, and the build-up to this goal initially is actually quite beautiful from Argentina. Very slick passes, and then Maradona goes on a little bit of a run himself, and then chaos just ensues in and around the penalty box. Yeah, like this Argentina team isn't one to look past in history. They obviously mm. went on to win that tournament quite famously. Yeah. Maradona was one of the best players in the world, obviously. And one best player of the tournament. Yeah, score of the goal of the century, which he somehow managed to just make everyone forget about in that game because of the moment that he would go on to do. Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous to think. Like, how can I say that? And um, maybe well, no one forgot it. It's the goal of the century, so it's never left anyone's oh, yeah. brains. But it was overshadowed a little bit. Yeah, in terms of that game and that whole World Cup, it's now like people think '86 World Cup. Maradona's hand of God situation I mean I was looking back at the clip of the goal uh, yesterday and like I said the whole build up by Argentina is incredible and then it's just that last bit when it uh, hits off uh, Steve Hodge's 
his foot and it bounces up to the air and surely like thinking about it how is someone maradona's height who's about five four to five foot seven beating peter shilton in the air do you want the exact height well not the exact height but peter shilton is eight inches taller than diego maradona which just makes it all the more baffling yeah it's just crazy to see and then like the fact that no one in the referee or linesman saw it and then doesn't he go celebrating by pointing to his hand or kissing his hand as well in the celebration? I don't remember that bit in particular, but all I know is that he's like looking around thinking, yeah, that's going to get chalked off. Oh, they've seen me do it, so it ain't going to get given. But he's realised he's got away with it and then obviously got running. Yeah, like no one from the officiating crew just picks it up. Like, obviously, Shilton and the rest of the E. England team are going to complain to the Tunisian ref whose name escapes me at this moment. I've got it time. written down if you um, want to know that one. So it was Tunisian referee Ali Benassia. I don't know how you would say it. Definitely butchered that. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that none of him or his officiating crew spotted it, like, surely there has to be, like, if I'm seeing that for the very first time and I don't know the whole background behind it, I'll be like, hang on, this small guy beating Peter Shilton in the air is just insane like there's got to be question marks as to how he got that height leverage to get over him and then obviously like you say Argentina go on to win that World Cup and no one talks about anything else at that tournament because it's just known now as the Hand of God tournament yeah I always thought we were 86 when you watch it back replays it's always the big star that's just in the middle of the pitch of the Azteca. Look, I don't know if it's yeah. still like that now. I don't know if you get it. Oh. Hmm. But we'll find, it, we'll, we'll find out in 2026 when Mexico has the World Cup again. So Moving on to another handball incident, definitely one on the more wrong side, another nation angered by a South American yes. with a controversial handball and that. Luis Suarez in 2010... It went down as cheating in the end, but some yeah. will say it was a brilliant bit of goalkeeping. Oh, it's phenomenal goalkeeping from Suarez. However, he obviously isn't the goalkeeper in situation. He is a attacker on the line. So what I didn't realise um, until looking back at this was it was actually at the end of extra time when he handballed it. Do you not remember that part? I remember it no, very I... clearly. <laughs> I knew it was in extra time, but I didn't realise like how late on it was. And then I was like, oh, uh, crap. It's like the 120th, 121st minute. I believe the last uh, kick they, as well. Well, penultimate kick, because obviously the penalty was then the last kick. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I meant. I meant the penalty was the last kick. And then, obviously, um, you see like he clearly sticks his arm in the way to block uh, Dominic Adoyoye's, uh header off the line. And then uh, Suarez obviously gets sent off for it because the referee has seen it. And then uh, Asamoah Jan takes the penalty and it hits the bar. And then you see the camera cuts to Suarez and you see him celebrating it. And then obviously the game goes to penalties. And who misses a penalty? Oh, I, see, I forget who misses the Ghana penalties. I know Asamoah Jan actually scored, which just made it hurt more. Dominic Adayaya, whose header was cleared off the line by Suarez, he misses Ghana's fourth penalty. 
well, I actually didn't know that. All these yeah. years and that, I didn't know about that detail. Oh, God. Mm. So that just, yeah, that makes it so much worse. But oh, heartbreaking, really, for Garner because it was one of the best stories of that whole tournament. Just seeing yeah. an African nation actually do better than well, the group stage for a change. Yeah, and they came against the Uruguay team that was very beatable, mm. I thought. Like, it, what, it was... I think that 2010 World Cup was the change for Uruguay. It was like a lot of their old heads were playing in their last tournament and then you had some of these emerging stars not fully integrated yet. So it was a bit of a change tournament there. So this tournament for Suarez was almost his breakout moment a little bit. I can't remember. I think it was this tournament and then he went and signed for Liverpool like the January after. Yeah. So that was like... His second incident that, uh, well, his first one that was obviously in the massive limelight because of it being at the world stage, because obviously he had the biting incident earlier on in his career. And as he would go on to do in later tournaments. Yes. A later tournament. (laughs) What would a World Cup be without a Luis Suarez incident? Probably still the World Cup. You'd just get more shocking moments to counter it. And one uh, third one I've looked up was in the same tournament, actually, 2010, in a game between Ivory Coast and Brazil. It was a group game match. Brazil ended up winning 3-1, and it was for Luis Fabiano's second goal. So he's going on a nice run. He has to dink the ball over Didier Zakora initially, and then as he does so with his control, he hits his arm. And then uh, it goes on a little bit more of a run, not much distance. Dinks it over Colo Torre. Again, uses his hand as he goes on to score the goal. So he handballs it twice and nothing happens to him. I feel like I've definitely seen this somewhere. I've just tried to picture it. It's been that long since I've known about it, but it sounds familiar. Yeah. Mm. Does it get mooted a lot? Maybe because it is Brazil against Ivory Coast. Like Brazil are expected to win that. Yeah. I mean, that whole game was, like, it turned out that game was Ivory Coast's only loss in the tournament because it was... You have to think, 2010, that Ivory Coast team was almost at its peak. Oh, yeah, it Drogba was, was still playing. Yeah, Drogba was still playing. You got Yaya Torre. Colo Torre, Didier Zakora. Like, that team, when I looked at that game earlier on, I was like, wow, this was a really deep and good squad. And then... um. Like Brazil weren't even the best. Like they had obviously key players. Like obviously talking about Luis Alberto in there. Uh, they had Rubinho, Kaká, Gilberto Silva. I have Michael. to say, like just added a mini joke in there. The fact that you said Luis Alberto first out of all the, the other names in that team. Mm. You know, Kaká's in there. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, um, that was only Ghana's only loss. Although they did it, obviously get knocked out of that tournament in the group stage I think you meant they drew one 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 and last one you'd said Ghana then and it was you did yeah. I say? Yeah. sorry Ivory Coast um yeah so that was the Ivorians only loss in the group stage <laughs> ended up going out I mean also what's crazy I had a look at on uh, some more match details in a three minute spell Keke got two yellow cards and got yeah, sent this off this incident I remember game. the red card was particularly controversial because the player just feigned an injury. 
the players ran, accidentally ran into Kaka. I can't remember who it was mm-hmm. in particular, but they ran into him, and then they've just found like that they've got injured from him. In, yeah, you know, Kaka's only worked hard, I believe. Well, of the, his whole career, something like that. He might have been sent off in one other club game, but you know, nice, mm. nice guy, Kaka, isn't someone that you think yes. would, you know, lash out at someone. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, they were the handball incidents I can remember or have locked up from uh, World Cups are past. Yeah, so second, yeah. well, should we move on to the next area that I want to look, look into? Yeah. I want to look at some of the controversial goals. Two, obviously, spring to mind. And both England related. Yeah. Yeah. Which one, we, we, Who would have thought? Which one do we go on first? We go with 66. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's the one we have the least knowledge on, given that we were born nowhere near 1966. Well, I was born 32 years later, so that's how close I was born, being born to that World Cup. Um, obviously, tournament being held in England, we're at the final between England and West Germany, I nearly said Germany, but West, Germany, still West yeah. Germany at that stage. And it is known as the Jeff Hurst final for scoring a hat-trick, but it is the second goal that has obviously been marred with the controversy, if you would like to expand in a bit more detail on that whole situation. Some people say controversy, I say, don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) The the age-old question with this is, did Jeff Hurst's second goal cross the line? Like we'll, we'll never know nowadays. Yes, but yeah, every time I see it, it looks like it slightly is over. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. obviously nowadays, if that was to happen, say in the next World Cup next year, we'd obviously know whether because obviously having goal line technology and all that. But back in them days, this, that kind of stuff obviously didn't exist. So you're just gonna have to go with what was said at the time, and it was credited as a goal. So. Isn't that literally like? Isn't there also a question? Obviously, there's also technically the question of whether Jeff Hurst is offside for the hat trick as well. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there it is. <laughs> Just, yeah, they got their revenge though. And as an Englishman, I'm not going to complain because, as to date, that's the only World Cup we've won. So, uh, I'm not complaining. No, but the Germans had a lot to complain about, and as we said, they got their revenge of sorts with. Well, you were talking on technology we could almost say that it was this goal that was the hallmark moment in football history that changed the perception on the idea of technology coming into it you'd you'd say it's the birthing of bringing yeah, the well, you got to remember the idea was actually talked about before it but it was always yeah, set blatter like just out there like, i don't want technology it's not going to happen this just proved goal. Well, this goal proved it was necessary. Frank Lampard in 2010 in the last 16 game against Germany. Yes. So obviously, Germany ended up running riots in that game, beating England 4-1. But it could have been a different story had Lampard shot. Which, I mean, I remember it clearly, and I was like. That's a goal. I even celebrated it like it was a goal. I was going to ask, do you remember where you were watching this? I was in my house watching that and I was like, that's gone across the line. Like, I could see then and I was like, 
there's no way like that's hit off the crossbar and not gone in past Manuel Neuer in goal and I was like even if he tries to claw it like surely the linesman can see like he's so far behind his goal trying to bring that out and I was like okay this is it this is England's revival moment in this game well we would have been revived it would have made it 2-2 two, two. We, we got it back to 2-1 courtesy of Matthew Upson's face pretty much if you say the guy the ball just hits his face it doesn't hit it yeah but uh, I always want, love to know where the linesman was stood because I feel like that's something that's never seen really any time we see the goal back yeah it is quite interesting because I don't like you said I don't think it, I've seen it where you can see like where the linesman is in that situation and it's one of them where I think even like I feel like a few Germany players actually can tell like oh this has actually gone in obviously it was just more baffling for a viewing audience because you could clearly see they had gone over and then I remember for the like the following few days after that and if not a few weeks all the English press and that just talking about like how it was the ghost goal that never was because it's just like you can clearly see it had gone over the line and the fact that it just wasn't given in the end was like wow mm, and obviously like, even to this day well, yeah, even to 11 th- years later I'm still amazed by it it obviously is because even without the technology it's just a baffling call because I feel like even yeah. when the, the ball bounced down off the bar you can see where Neuer stood in his goal and it's clearly behind him like quite a way you'd think surely that's gone over yeah like he's having to because doesn't he like claw at it like he does some do you know what I I, so, I blame the Jabalani yeah, the trajectory I mean, of that ball the made it bounce back out of the goal mm. the amount of complaints players were having with that ball at the time it's too round it's just crazy I mean that's a, just a ridiculous statement how could a football be too round like it makes no sense whatsoever yeah uh, I don't, are there any of the controversial goals that come to mind I can't think of any off the top of my head especially in the last two World Cups that we've had since that 2010 one I can't think of any that speak out to me no not really yeah I'll just leave that out Uh, so I'd like to move on from that Mm -hmm. so next should we look at shocking tournament performances Oh, where do we start? Where do we start? On the top of my head, I have two performances in particular from different nations. I would like to start with the most recent one, and that was what on earth happened with Germany in 2018. I have no idea. Like, I remember that World Cup, and just how poor Germany were in that tournament was ridiculous. It felt like a a nation that had gone as far as it could with a manager who had been there for years and had obviously had great success with them. Yeah. Like, that end of that tournament was like when Joachim Love should have left and the fact that he carried on for another three years after that is crazy because you saw the downfall of that Germany team. Yeah, they never really improved drastically after that. They didn't recover from that. Well, I'd say they actually had a better tournament performance after that. They got to the last 
the last 16 of the Euros obviously it didn't end well but mm. yeah, this, the World Cup was just bad I know they won which is a lot better than other teams will be talking about tournament performances mm. but I always vividly remember that South Korea game oh, I can now you said South Korea I, it just sparked it back into my mind it's just confusing how bad they were in that game yeah, like Neuer making, just being more mad than he usually is. That's a goalkeeper yeah. just coming out so far. And obviously he was made to pay at the end. Yeah, it's just, you wouldn't expect that from a keeper at his level. No, but if... And, like, that World Cup, like, it's just mental. Like, the squad they had is absolutely crazy. They Hadn't they won the Confederations Cup in uh, the year before? don't actually remember about that but I feel like they had done they definitely still had a good team and I think for what oh, I yeah, remember I'd, I'd kind of put them as Monk's favourites like you had them to be at least semi-finals because it's Germany and they were the number one ranked team at the time yeah but I was wondering if that ever matters if to be honest look who's the number one ranked at the moment I don't actually know is it not still Belgium uh could be wouldn't surprise me but yeah like you say that just Germany team that World Cup were wow how could a team be that much depth and quality and just do so poorly like it actually it's crazy how bad they did in that tournament Mm, they did bad but at least they didn't do as bad as another massive nation in 2010 because the French revolt was something to behold that whole situation in 2010 regarding France is to this day it's still baffling like the fact that their players went on strike and then some of the one player got sent home and then Anelka Nicholas Anelka and then you had the players refusing to train there was rumours uh, leading up to the first match as to whether they were going to play or not and then it just took over the footballing world for like that whole week leading up to that first game yeah like Nicholas and Alcott saying what he said to Ramon Dominic mm. not going to repeat it because <laughs> it's not not no. ideal for this podcast that we're doing um, squad going on protest as said Patrice Evra giving the manager a note and Dominic reading that to the world's media just an embarrassing mm-hmm. moment for him and every time you saw him on like, the touchline in that World Cup when I was watching back videos he's just slumped against the, the dugout it's 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 like a kid who's been bullied he's just oh, leaning yeah. up <laughs> a guy who didn't want to be there like it was it was just drastically bad for him and the whole French squad in that tournament like once he got kicked off you were like okay this isn't going to be anything good for them and we were proven right weren't we with how just drastically poor France were in that tournament yeah but France were coming off the back of obviously losing Zidane he retired by 2006 after 2006 Henri was mm. coming to the end this was obviously the last tournament he was poor if we're honest they just didn't but none of them did good 
but they still had a very decent yeah. squad that could have done something but it was not the, the quality of that that just got to the last World Cup final yeah I mean looking at the group they had Uruguay Mexico South Africa yeah. France beaten by Mexico yeah I forget the Uruguay result drew 0-0 with Uruguay and then lost 2-1 to South Africa you can't lose to South Africa Host maybe yeah. but no it was pretty bad scored once all tournament conceded four goals I believe the one Finished goal bottom of the group was the Henri penalty I think uh, I don't remember exactly but no it was Florent Malouda who scored Maluda. the only goal of that tournament I mean if I just run through now quickly the squad against South Africa and you'll see how good this team was so you got Ugo Lloris Bakary Sanya William Gallas Sebastian Squilacci Gail Clichy, Alu Diara, Abu Diaby, Andre Pierre Gignac, Johan Gorkov, Frank Ribery, Drupal Cisse, Malouda, Henri, and Sidney Gugo. Like, that's still a decent enough France team to be beating uh, South Africa. Yeah, potentially. I feel like back then that squad was probably pretty good. Obviously, nowadays you look at it and go, yeah, that team's got nothing on what they would have nowadays. Yeah, but if like comparing it to uh, the South African team of that time, you're like that should actually be an easy win for France. And it says a lot when I can only name two of the South African players: uh, Swifty Shabalaba and who's the other one? I believe Benny McCarthy was a part of that team. Bloody hell, Benny McCarthy! I don't know if you said Shabalala's name right as well. Okay. That, that Shabalala goal in, that in the, the opening South Africa goal this tournament from Shabalala is one of my favourite moments ever just for the celebration alone no <laughs> not a fan of the Peter B- Drury's you're not a fan of the B-Tech Macarena then I mean it was a good, great celebration and I did do it a few times even with them but the commentary from Peter Drury on that goal watching it still gives me goosebumps Peter Drury just knows how to make a moment better Oh, he's best commentator there is. Uh, but Stephen Pino was also a part of that uh, South Africa squad, and Aaron Makano as well, or Makona, who played mm. over here with Blackburn and Portsmouth. But yeah, um, the third team we have to talk about having a disastrous World Cup: Spain in 2014. That's exactly, what I was thinking. Obviously, it's worse with them because they had just come off the back of winning the last three major tournaments. They were without a doubt. But yeah, they were so, being called the best team ever. Oh yeah, because they'd won the 2008 Euros, the 2010 World Cup, the 2012 Euros, and then 2014 happens. I feel like by 2014 they had lost some of the stars, as you were. Like Poyol was gone, I believe, at this point. Yeah, but they still had a, a, a good enough team. Was Xavi and Iniesta there? I feel like Iniesta still would have been. Yeah, I think Xavi and Iniesta would still have been there 2014. I don't know, I swear their squad had sort of reduced a little bit, quality-wise. I do remember Iker Casillas being there, though, and he had a bad tournament. Hmm. For me, me with that Spain team, it's the game against the Netherlands that's always at the forefront, because Netherlands just battered them. Oh, absolutely. 5-1 opening game. 
who's also known as the Robin Van Persie diving header, which I still don't know how he did that diving header. There's that, but I also remember Iron Robin just with his blistering pace against Sergio Ramos. Oh my god, he destroyed Ramos in that game. This, it was around these times when Robin was at his like peak. Oh yeah, this was peak by Munich Robin, and no doubt about it, like uh, one of the best uh, wingers in football. Um, looking at that game against Netherlands, the Spain squad was Casillas, Aspilicueta, Pique, Ramos, Alba, Xavi, Busquets, Alonso, David Silva, Iniesta, Costa, and then the three subs that they brought on, Fernando Torres, Pedro, and Cesc Fabregas. So that's still a very, very decent squad. Yeah, when you look back at that, that is pretty shocking given how they did in that tournament then. Didn't, yeah. didn't they draw with New Zealand? No. They, they did have New Zealand in the group, though, right? Australia. It was Australia, that was it. Wrong O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, so they won, they won one, uh, drew zero, and lost two. It's not good enough for the team of that quality, really, is it? Yeah, like that team sheet that I just read out for their game against the Netherlands, they should have been beating. A, you look at that team, you think they could really still go all the way here oh yeah that team could have easily done back to back world cups and back to back euros without a question of it because if you remember that Hulk 2014 world cup wasn't realistically lit up by world quality teams I mean we said the Netherlands team was good then obviously Germany were lighting the world up Brazil were having an okay tournament and there's like three or four teams that had a decent tournament and the rest of the teams were just meh. I remember there wasn't I, any like standout performances. From what I remember, Germany were always the favourites and they showed yeah. that they were probably the only really mm. consistent ones. Like Even though Argentina yeah, got to the 100%. final, they didn't look like a team that could win it because even I remember like Messi wasn't having a great tournament. No, he didn't have a good tournament at all in 2014. Um, speaking on that 2014 tournament, we can't forget about England's performance. Yeah, like it weren't great. Obviously, went out of the group well, stage. And Italy as well. England and Italy going oh out, God, of yeah, Italy go out of the group stage. Yeah. I always forget about Costa yeah, so Rica. In, in that group, Costa Rica won it. Uruguay came second, Italy third, and England fourth. Costa Rica had um, Joel Campbell. You know, this is where he looked great and like, Arsenal fans were just obviously over the moon because they thought they had a gem and then he didn't do anything ever again no I don't even know where uh, where's he at now is he still at Sporting I thought he was at Olympiacos no, last in... I checked well that was back in 2014 no, nowadays he's playing in Mexico yeah, yeah well that's yeah a bit of a he, I'll just say he's bounced around <laughs> since leaving Arsenal but yeah, both England and Italy had diabolical tournaments. Obviously, we mainly know it for England being under Roy Hodgson. And that was the start of two bad tournaments in a row for England. Yeah, and even more About so, three. it's funny when you look back now, because that Italy team, uh, that 24-year Italy team has the experienced heads nowadays that were crucial in helping Italy win the last Euros. Yeah, I mean, I'm just having a quick look at this Italy team from when they played England. Sirigu in goal, Damian, Barzagli, Paletta, Chiellini, Marchisio, De Rossi, Verratti, 
Perlo, Candreva, Balotelli. Bench they brought on Tiago Motta, Chiro Immobile, and Marco Parolo. Like, that Italy team could easily, easily get to the latter stages of that tournament. But Italy have always had quality teams at these later World Cups, and they've just flattered to deceive slightly. As we said, it, like Chiellini and Immobile were the names that stood out nowadays. They've just won the Euros. Yes. Also, that game against Italy was the one where her physio Gary Lewin dislocated his ankle. Yeah, from that one I in the celebration. I just remember Balotelli scoring the second goal. That's what up my my memory of it. Was that the one where he ripped off his shirt and did the body stance like that? Was a different game, I think. Same tournament though. Wasn't Same tournament, it? yeah. No, no, yeah, no. He did that the twenty twelve Euros. Was it? Jesus Christ. Same era. <laughs> Mm. But yeah, um, England were diabolical in that tournament and rightly so, they exited at the group stage. Their first time England uh, exited the group stage since 1958 and the first since 1990 for Italy, which doesn't bode well for either side. No, it didn't. But talking about England in a negative light because let's try and talk about England in a positive mood because how could we go for a shocking World Cup moment and not include just some of the memories that have happened with England yeah and if we're going to talk about England and the World Cup we can't exactly do it without talking about the biggest English experience in a sporting context which is of course, the most English thing ever, losing a football match on penalties. I mean, name a more iconic duo than England and penalties. Anson Deck. Mm. More common boys. Mm. Me and you. Okay, that one I can agree on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, just 1990, 1998 and 2006, the three years, we've lost penalties in the World Cup. And all of them just as bad as the other. Yeah. I mean, the fact that... Was it the 98 one where Ian Wright didn't go to, even though he was like one of England's best players, or was that the 96 Euros? I forget who... I don't really know, if I'm honest. I didn't look into that exactly, but... 98 has a different issue itself, which we'll get to at this same part a little bit, in a little bit. I'm going to start on 1990, because out of the three of them, it's probably the less em- embarrassing. They score every penalty mm-hmm. until it gets to Stuart Pearce, who was a regular taker, and he yeah. ends up missing. It's just crazy. I mean, mm. again... But it started it, it started the rebirth of Stuart Pearce's career, because he became known for it. And then obviously the 96 Euros when he scores the penalty against Spain and it's the famous scream yeah. that all the fans. But 1990, he's looking history at this because at least his penalty wasn't as bad as Chris Waddles. Yes, that's saying obviously he took England's next penalty in that 90, uh, 1990 World Cup against West Germany. I don't know how he did it, but he somehow managed to hit Rosette in the Stadio Which Olympica. Which is an impressive feat for all the wrong reasons, let's be clear. <laughs> Yeah, massive track around it, and yet still it reached the fans. 
only something Chris Waddle could do. There's like just hit it, and then there's what Chris Waddle did. Mm. I always prefer with penalties in that moment, just smash it. Because if you try and place it, it makes it a bit easier for the keeper. Just smash it, and then it makes it more difficult. He took that oh, one way too literally. I.e. Harry Maguire in this past Euros, he absolutely smashed his penalty, and look how well he did. He broke a camera lens, which hurts me a little bit inside. Still a cracking penalty, though. The, the camera was cracking as well. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that 1990 mm. World Cup, England obviously finishing fourth place, uh, losing the third place game to Italy. Not the best yeah, of times um, for England with penalties, though, like you say. No, like Italian 90 was the start. Because yeah. penalty shootouts had obviously just came in like, around that time. And yeah, little did we know how awful it was going to be for us. 98 was a little bit more cut, cut and dry, I think. Mm. But I think we, we did still score every penalty, but it came to David Batty at the end, who isn't a regular penalty taker. You could yeah. almost say very similar to that nowadays. With Saka and Sancho, they're not the usual penalty takers. But he stepped up, he took it, it didn't go well. He missed and yeah, we went out. Against Argentina. However, not many people obviously know, but Paul Lintz missed England's second penalty of that game. Yeah, because from what I remember, we also saved Argentina's first penalty. This was David Seaman in like a younger age. He was no, we saved this. Both teams missed their second penalty, so uh, Hernan Crespo was the one that missed. Hernan Crespo, ninety-eight. He must have been quite young. I'm not going to do the maths because that would take too long. If we're going to talk bad penalty shootouts, though, like 2006 was horrendous. Yeah, from like, an English standpoint, that really just made it like. After all them World Cups previously, and then to continue to uh, missing 06 as well, it was just like, it made it kind of comical of how bad England were with penalties at that point. I'm trying to, yeah, trying to remember who it was exactly who missed again. Did Lampard miss one? Yes, yeah, so the penalties that were missed in that game against Portugal, Frank Lampard, who was Chelsea's penalty taker at the time, Stephen Gerrard. Another regular tiger. Main. Jamie Carragher. I wouldn't say was a usual tiger, but he, I guess, was happy to take one. And if you actually he scored one. It's because he scored, but was then told to retake it and proceeded to miss afterwards. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's uh, a reason Owen Hargreaves scored. He's a class player. Slightly that, but it's the fact that he'd spent so many years in Germany, so he'd obviously perfected it at oh, that yeah. point. Playing for Bayern Munich, of course, uh, and regularly visiting uh, Schalke's ground, the Gelsenkirchen, he would know how to take a penalty. Yeah, I think it just hurt. Also, looking at that game. It also hurt more that it was against Portugal, who were establishing themselves as big rivals a little bit. We just got knocked out by. Yeah. Them in the Euros, and then subsequently there's a World Cup as well, and an incident in that game as well, which we'll also speak about, also raised the the temperature levels slightly. Just 
a tad. But yeah, um, that game against Portugal gave Luis Felipe Scolari his third consecutive win in uh, tournaments at a quarterfinal over Sven Joran Eriksson. But if we're going to keep on the chat of World Cup penalty shootouts of England, it's probably mm-hmm. even more a shocking moment that we actually did win one eventually in the last tournament. Oh, honestly, when I saw that happen in 2018, I was like, hang on, what's going on here? This is not what England do. They don't win penalty shootouts. Hang on a minute, Jordan Pickford's actually a really good goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, it was just strange to see. Yeah, it was like, I remember it being the first moment I properly reacted to it. England team went, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, just the buzz everyone got after it as well was something to behold. Mm. That whole World Cup was just... It was a lot better than many people expected it to be. That the whole tournament was fantastic. It, for me, the 2018 World Cup is the best tournament in my lifetime. Yeah, it was just... like There was so much bad press around it. Like Everyone expecting it to be... A, like, oh, you shouldn't go to Russia, this, that and the other. But yeah, actually, you never really heard of any trouble. And it was uh, actually, like you said, one of the best tournaments ever. Yeah, but match quality was there. England were doing amazing like Eric Dyer's scoring is, winning penalties which is crazy to even hear you say yeah and just oh, it's what could have been really and it, all the top teams as well were going out early so it was such an open tournament as well even if the favourites did go on to win eventually but that was the talk on the 2018 World Cup we should probably get to the other England moments and that is red card incidents because there's two of them in particular that let's just say very controversial we'll start with the one that both me and you don't exactly know too much about given we were not like old enough to just understand I wasn't born (laughs) same year but before I was born yeah so where David Beckham got sent off in that last 16 game against Argentina didn't go down so well in not just the English media but the whole country as well he really got painted as the villain in that situation yeah like, do you, have you I ever mean, seen like, that stuff back of it where they just talk about yeah, it yeah I've looked back at it there's an effigy have you been the streets it's a bit much in it yeah, he literally after that World Cup moment, he just got crucified, and it's just crazy to think like he was the poster boy of English football at the time and Manchester United, and then that happens at the World Cup, and you're like, what on earth has gone on here? And then, the, like you said, the reaction afterwards and everything else that happens is just a bit of a downfall period for him. Do you know what makes it kind of funnier? Nowadays, it's because it happened against Diego Simeone. And if you see what Diego Simeone's like nowadays managing Atletico, like of course he was acting up. It's just so Diego Simeone that. Like, if you look back at that red card now, it would actually have been a red card to Simeone. Would he? See, he does strike him. Like, Beckham shouldn't be striking at him, you think about it, but obviously Simeone makes an absolute meal of it, which just. Makes it yeah. embarrassing. But it is one of the big moments of, like you said, 
English uh, World Cup red cards and the other one more close to your heart this one Oh, two of my boys at the time. Not actual boys. I didn't have kids. That young Jesus. Right, I don't Christ, think anyone was weird. implying that, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, mm. Man United versus Portugal. <laughs> um, England versus Portugal. That is the Wayne Rooney situation. Mm. It's so crazy that how that whole thing just sparked off, considering how good they were as teammates. Yeah, obviously you know more on the aftermath of this than I do I, I always wished I could be at Carrington when the two of them are together again for the first time it's just mm. crazy obviously if we get on the incident itself it's completely accidental but Rudy probably did deserve the red card he stood in his private areas yeah, like he he lashes out and does hit. It's accidental. He doesn't lash Top out on him. Still hits him right there. Not, <laughs> yeah, obviously the moment is known for the when Ronaldo comes running in, right in front of the referee, pleading for his life, but just send him off. Well, not send him off. Ronaldo maintains to this day that he never said to send him off. He always says, "Ref, it's a foul." Mm. Of course, it's a foul. He's blown for it. But yeah, it's. The moment after the the camera's caught, which yeah, so obviously there was a little. We'll get to that incident, but there was the moment when Rooney was going off the pitch, and you see him mouthing some words to Ronaldo. Obviously, we don't know what is said, and then going towards back to where he was in the pitch, the camera catches Ronaldo giving the old wink to the camera uh, to the sideline, mm. which is a. Uh, yeah, the first sign of Ronaldo not the best just pure. Trying to find the right word for it. Nah, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, but um, it was. He saw that Wayne Rooney was the, the best one to get off that pitch, and he did. For Man United, he got on his head. Yeah, I mean, they obviously managed to turn it round off uh, the field, um, back on the field when it came to playing for Man United that season because. United went on to win the Premier League well, that season. Well. So, <laughs> also, I feel like was was that Ronaldo's? Be- no, it wasn't Ronaldo's best high scoring that, season because Drogba stopped goal. But anyway, this not is not going to be one of those podcasts um, where you wax lyrical on Ronaldo again. Yeah, that <laughs> uh, I can do that enough. Anyway, um, yeah, that whole situation was probably uh, the most re- memorable red card for us that we can think of in mm. in terms of like involving England. Oh, just crazy and if there's anything else that's crazy it's some of the craziest matches in World Cup history we will skate through some of these pretty quickly because there's quite a few options <laughs> to go through on here so firstly yes. I would like to start from the 2006 World Cup I believe that's the first mention we've had of that tournament in this book <laughs> somehow we did we did just mention did it we? with the Rooney really itself oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 2006 World Cup match between Portugal and Netherlands dubbed the Battle of Nuremberg in the aftermath just because this may have been the most dirty football match I've watched in quite a while. Yeah. I mean, to give context, there was 16 yellow cards and four red cards in this game. On average, that is a booking every five and a half minutes. Which is impressive going by this uh, by Valentin Ivanov of Russia. 
and even more amazing just given the talent that is in this game it's that Portugal team that everyone talks about how did they never win anything look at the absolute quality they've got at their disposal and a Netherlands team that is on the mm-hmm. rise a little bit yes also that was my favourite Portugal kit of the yeah, time oh, that 2006 when they had that the dark that maroon yellow bit oh. Oh, beautiful kit well, obviously that isn't not the talking point no. of the situation no the talking point 16 is, yellow cards yeah the talking point is that the Dutch just abandoned the days of total football and instead went for total destruction they became total chaos they became rough edgy downright dirty and just a very tough team to play yeah and it became like they were very a dogged team like there and thereabouts like then a few years after that incident it was like it wasn't the Holland that we were used to seeing at tournaments and I think that was like the spark of the ignition of like them being just like dogged at tournaments and I mean but they were, I don't remember if they were like this in 2006, but they were definitely like it in 2010, which we'll get to. Yeah. I, I, I remember this yeah. game. There's just the shot of, I believe it's Deco, I think, Van Bronckhorst. And then there's another player. They just sat on a step somewhere at the stadium because they've been sent off. <laughs> it's like once yeah. you've, you know, when you've just been asked to sit on the naughty step mm. <laughs> it's just it embarrassing oh it's crazy I mean both teams had two players sent off like you said Deco and uh, Van Bronckhorst for each and then uh, the other player for Portugal that was sent off was Costinha and Carly de Boularouz was the other Netherlands player that got sent off Carly de Boularouz that's a name mm. thanks for that uh, moving on from 2006 to 1962. Look, we're really going back in time now. <laughs> yes. The Battle of Santiago, as it is dubbed between Chile and Italy. It's probably the most famous, like, out-of-control football match in the world history of the World Cup. I'll let you go through the details of it. I mean, it's just... Ugh. The like you told me about this because I can't remember obviously not being around in '62, don't know it, and I hadn't read much into it before. But it was a crazy, crazy game. I mean, just a quick summary of the game it says the first foul occurred within 12 seconds of kickoff. Italy's Giorgio Farini was sent off in the eighth minute after a foul, but refused to leave the pitch. And then policemen were f- called onto the pitch to drag him off. Then, uh there was a punch thrown by Leono Sanchez of Chile to uh, Mario David, but the referee didn't do anything. And then the interesting fact: the referee was English, Ken Aston. Good surname. <laughs> and then there was just more with like more punches and scuffle and spitting going on. And then the police had to intervene in the game three more times, and. It sounds like something you hear on a Friday night in your local city centre. Yeah, this was at a time when Italy were not known as the high-quality football, that they were just brutal. Yeah, I mean, 
Chile were hosts of that tournament as well, ended up going on to finish in third place. But yeah, that whole tournament was just absolutely crazy. Something else do you be aware of? Because when they showed this over here in 1962, the uh, BBC Sports commentator David Coleman, who's sadly no longer alive, he, he introduced this match with a, a very famous quote. <laughs> so that quote was, what you're about to see here is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Which is big, big words. And bearing in mind, that was only the second match day for both teams, like their second games of that tournament. So they both still had to play another game after that. It also said after the Valley, it was obviously the first meeting between the two teams, and hopefully the last. But uh, they wouldn't be the last because they ended up uh, against each other in the 1966 World Cup. They played at Roker Park and the game went without incident. Which is nice to see. Yeah. And if anyone cared, Chile won 2 now. <laughs> yes, and like I said, went on to finish third place whilst Brazil won that tournament in 62. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so moving on to another more crazy modern game probably just it's the dirtiest World Cup final ever and probably the worst World Cup final ever just match quality as well the 2010 yeah. World Cup final was horrendous yeah like you said it was just absolute mayhem involved in it another English rev <laughs> once again no surprise it, it's the match that ended Obviously, Howard Webb's career it was his last one I believe, so I, I believe he it. finished after this I think can't remember. I thought, I thought he carried on for another year or two. Maybe in the Premier League, but he didn't do an international game again after that. Yeah. The man was booed at the end, like it was his fault. Mm. But yeah, that whole final was just baffling. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was the Spain and Netherlands. That was the Dutch at their physical peak. Mm. Fouls everywhere. That was amazing. That Spain didn't have more injuries. Yeah, it is ridiculous. It's Mark Van Bommel. Like he's like any time I think of that Dutch team, Mark Van Bommel's the one I always think about. It's never Van Persie or Robin or anyone else. It, it's always him. Hmm. It's just like it's ridiculous that whole World Cup final. That whole final, the just ugh, the Nigel De Jong stuff. Oh yeah, God! Oh God! I'd forget that. He wasn't oh, sent off for it. What? He was only given a yellow, wasn't he? I oh, know. <laughs> See, that's why I can't have sympathy with Howard Webb. Right, come on. <laughs> mm. right, it was absolutely ridiculous. I think that could the kind of thing that there could have been serious damage done to Xavi Alonso. It's a mm. boot at his chest. Yeah. Horrific. I mean. He did end up uh, dishing out 14 yellow cards, but the player that got sent off was Johnny Heitinger for a second ball couple offence in that game, rather than Nigel de Jong for fly-kicking someone in the chest, which is ridiculous. Yeah, he he missed out to make a lot more red cards in that one, which he should have done. It was mainly for the Dutch rather than the Spanish. Yeah. But uh, if we're sticking on horrendous tackles... We have to go all the way back to 1990 for the most horrendous one of them all. I, I have to trust now. Did you at least see the video clip of this? Yes, I did. Like, this tackle, 
in the game between Cameroon and Argentina. Forget the fact that Cameroon actually beat them in that match. Italia 90 and Cameroon obviously had a pretty good tournament by their standards. Benjamin Massey nearly downright destroyed Claudio Canigia. I mean, Canigia had managed to evade like two or three tackles in the lead up to this big tackle anyway. Like, I don't know how he managed to stay on his feet and a couple of them could have been yellows if not reds themselves. But then Benjamin Massey to do that what he did on him was damn right near murder can he just run just evading tackles left right and centre like a gazelle just going through the... <laughs> and then Benjamin Massey comes along like nah you ain't getting past me mate bang yeah <laughs> boots come flying off for dramatic effects and at the end of it just what's Benjamin Massey's reaction what what, what, what did I do <laughs> just I didn't do anything Oh, it's unreal. Yeah, it's like you said, it's one of the most crazy, crazy moments ever. Oh, God. Yeah. But if we're speaking with South Americans and just craziness, what on earth with 2014? How do we go through World Cup's most shocking moments and not add in Brazil losing 7 1 to Germany in the semi finals of the 2014 World Cup in Brazil and the Maracanã? Without Neymar. Well, I don't think that had any effect, if I'm honest. But Bradley, in a modern age, we've become used a little bit when we do see like a game between two top quality teams and the one just dominates them. We've seen Bayern Munich thrash Barca, like eight two. This was the the first one I recall. Germany beating Brazil seven one. That it's not normal. I remember watching that and I was like. Hang on, there's something not right here. It was the ease of how they were scoring. They were basically FIFA-style yeah, oh. sweaty goals. Oh, they were just going left, right and bloody centre how easy it was with their goals. I mean, it, it genuinely became like some sort of joke of how easy they scored the goals. Yeah, obviously tears as well in the crowd because this was Brazil's tournament. It was their destiny yeah. to win the sixth World Cup in their backyard. And it just mm. came crushing down in just a way that nobody could have ever thought. I mean, it was 5-0 at half-time. Yeah. Like, Thomas Muller scored, Miroslav Klose, two for Tony Crows, one for Sami Kadira, Andre Schurler scored in a second-half brace. 7-0, and then Oscar gives them just something that made the humiliation a little less worse than it actually was. It, it really didn't. Even though it, <laughs> it it didn't do anything, it was dreadful, but at least they can say they scored. Brazil, but well, the Brazil tournament just ended with an absolute whimper. Nobody cares about what they did for the early stages now. It's all about you lost 7-1 to Germany yeah. in the semi-final. In your own backyard. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Well, so we've covered pretty much the majority of shocking moments maybe there's some we've missed mm-hmm. but it feels only fair that we end this podcast we're talking about what is quite simply the most shocking moment ever in world cup history this deserves its own place which is it involves frenchmen one of the best players of all time ending their career 
in the worst way possible, it is of course the headbutt from Zinedine Zidane in the 2006 World Cup final between Italy and France. Yeah, again, not the best of uh, finals uh, between the two sides. Not a lot really happened. Well, that's because the size of the incident. But nobody cares anymore what happened in that final. Okay, the two goals happened. I can't remember who scored. It was the Zidane penalty put France ahead, I mm-hmm. believe, and it was a penenka. Was like, I remember that being the first time I ever saw someone do that in a penalty. I was like, what the hell has he just done there? And he just about scored it. He hits the bar, comes back down. It's always Lampard 2010-esque. <laughs> hits the bar, comes out the yeah. line, and then, yeah, back out again. That's a goal, apparently. <laughs> uh, I can't remember who scored the Italy one. That's my mind. But, yeah, this is the headbutt. That's all anyone talks about with this game now. Anyone talks about that whole tournament nowadays mm. is the headbutt, isn't it? Obviously, there was the big thing with Italy and France. They're, they're very big rivals with one another. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never fully understood it as much. I haven't looked into it as much as I probably needed to. But anyway, do you remember why it is that Zidane supposedly or allegedly does this to Marco Materazzi? It's because it, apparently Matarazzi says something to Zidane about his mother. Yeah, there's now obviously I'd, there's conspiracy theories. No one isn't knows it? what is officially said. No, there's there's yeah, another there's, one as well. It's to do with the then Italy coach Marcelo Lippi. It dates back to Zidane's days with Juventus when he was younger. Right, thought something happened there because Marcelo Lippi was at Juventus at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's something that goes back then, and Lippi has gone to Matarazzi or other Italian players. Say this to him, see what the reaction will be, and we saw the reaction. Yeah, uh, Matarazzi was the one that actually scored. It was Matarazzi, the equaliser for Italy, and then he, uh, Matarazzi scores his penalty as we go to penalties in that game, with Italy eventually winning five three. Yeah. It all amazes me because the incident doesn't happen on camera at the time. You've just seen Zidane get sent off for like some reason. Yeah, there's literally nothing. We don't see anything why it happens, and then you obviously we have obviously subsequently seen the action as to why he gets sent off, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's definitely a sending off. But obviously, said who. I swear also is one of those players that was never sent off in his career. He's not someone that's going to react in the way that he did unless it's something horrendous. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it ended his career and that was his last ever game. John Motson's famous commentary line, Zinedine Zidane's career ends in disgrace, as he said mm. on the BBC's coverage of that one. But for me, what the lasting moment it's 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 him walking past the World Cup trophy head down walking past the trophy and the the photo yeah, yeah the, that is from it that's my it's such an iconic photo that's my favourite football photo ever that isn't one of my own team that is photo whoever took that they deserve to have it put up in the Louvre yeah, it is such a brilliant and iconic photo to... People should have to have pay taken. to see that photo. I don't care. Oh, <laughs> it's 100%. iconic. Get it in a museum. It is. Absolutely. Right. 
that is the end of our World Cup shocking moments. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, thoroughly uh, enjoyable to go through and bring on twenty twenty two. Yes, let's hope for more shocking moments in terms of talking points rather than on field. We want on field moments. Yeah, and as of day recording, it's just over a year out. Exactly, perfect time. It, it's almost all we planned it. Who would have thought? <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope you did enjoy this. And like I said at the start, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at FTC Pod for all the latest football news and stories from around the world of football. And until next time, it's goodbye from Brad. See ya. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you soon. <laughs>